Welcome back to Standout Medical Careers, the series of conversations with doctors about medical career motivations, choices, challenges, and fulfillment. I'm Anita Fletcher. In today's episode, we meet Dr. Anthony Virtue, financial expert and advisor on ageing. With our financial interests an integral part of career, it's essential to understand the best vehicles for investment and wealth creation. Just before we hear Tony's story and wisdom about how you can improve your financial situation, I need to tell you that if you want notifications of when I release a new episode, or if you want to get a free checklist to help you prepare a strong job or training program application, go to the Standout Medical Careers website and sign up for my newsletter at standoutmedicalcareers.com.au. Dr. Anthony Tony Virtue is the long-standing Chief Executive of Amalgamated Financial Services and Managing Partner of his eponymous Virtue at Partners. Tony also sits on a number of statutory boards, including the Ministerial Council of Ageing, and lectures at Flinders University. Tony has provided ongoing targeted financial advice to the medical profession for over 32 years and has a deep commitment to building financial security for clients to empower them to help others in their chosen profession. A regular keynote speaker and commentator on financial matters Tony is published in his work on global microfinance. Tony offers personal tailored financial advice limited to a small cohort of clients who value his experience and knowledge in growing and protecting their assets safely in a challenging economic environment. The podcast gives an insight into Tony's journey from the UK in the late 80s and the establishment and growth of one of Australia's premier financial advice firms. We are pleased to have developed a strategic partnership with him to help our clients with their financial needs. Hello, Tony. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Anita. It's a real uh, privilege to be uh, here for you today. Wonderful. And how are you going? Well, it's been a long day. We've uh, been down at the uh, New South Wales... uh, government and we'll talk about that in a moment uh so just got back in time for this one so uh, it's pouring with rain in sydney tonight yes yes it has been a very wet afternoon uh so that is in fact where i did want to start um your latest appointment could you please tell us um about this role that you've recently undertaken and where your interest in the aged care sector stems from yes thanks anita so this is a uh New South Wales government appointment, uh, and uh, it calls itself the Ministerial Advisory Council for Ageing, as opposed to aged care. Uh, Aged care being a subset. And uh, I guess the purpose of this, there are now 2 million uh, people in New South Wales who are now over the age of 60, which is uh, touching 25% of our community. And so the state government obviously is concerned as to, uh, you you know, how we help people uh, age well, if I can say that. 
That includes probably living at home for a longer period of time. It means having the right resources. It means dealing with issues such as uh, uh, financial uh, abuse, which is a big problem for us at the moment. Uh, uh, as a guide, uh, when the uh, federal government recently allowed people to withdraw 10,000 uh, from their super, we had 75,000 cases of financial abuse in New South Wales, where predominantly women uh, were coerced into drawing $10,000 down, primarily to give to their partner, primarily male, to uh, spend on uh, things they shouldn't be spending money on. So uh, my role in this there is, uh, is a three-year appointment, is to advise the minister uh, on all aspects of, of ageing, how we can uh, uh, help people age well. And uh, I know tonight uh, most of the people listening will be medical doctors, so you're well aware of people living a longer life now. And, uh, and so the, this is all interrelated, the health, the mindset, the, uh, uh, the, the physicality of life, working longer. Probably the biggest issue uh, we see at the moment is housing and keeping people in an environment where A, they can live in their own home and B, they can stay there. So uh, this will keep me busy. I'm sure it will, Tony. It's such a big area. Um, it's enormous, and I'm sure that you're bringing your financial background and expertise to those discussions as well as your sort of experience with having had many clients. And, you know, we all know people who've been through, the, you know, that period of their lives. And uh, I actually often reflected on um, through working, supporting my father um, over several years I wondered how people go when they don't have a close family member, somebody that they can feel that they can trust uh, and who can help them with all of the complexities of modern living as, as you grow older because uh, it seems that for all of us the world becomes more complicated and uh, I think when people are getting older and might not be across all the technologies and changes in you know legislation and, and things that are going on around them um, that must be incredibly challenging so I'm sure that would be a facet of, of what the discussions would entail. Very much so and uh, even things that some of the audience will take for granted uh, with uh, access to using phones, paying bills online Lots of these mm. things are quite a challenge for our senior people. And, yes. uh, and to some extent, some of them feel a bit left behind. So we need to have an engaging process. We're going to have a, a big concert, uh, Prime Minister's concert next month that uh, I'll attend uh, on behalf of the state government. And there'll be awards and things. And it's very much uh, we want people living their best lives throughout their lives, not just saying, well, we've reached a certain age, so, you know, that's the end of things. Uh, so, uh, you know, the reality now is I can see in the client base, we have more and more clients in their 90s now. Uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago at 95. So, uh, in fact, I can say I digress on a, on a, on a Monday, uh, Tuesday night. My daughter at one stage had two great-grandmothers alive at 102 years of age. So good genes. 
Uh, so people are living longer. Uh, we need to fund this. We need to have a mechanism whereby uh, they don't run out of money uh, and they can live in a safe environment. And, uh, and so that's very high on the government's priority at the moment. Okay, well, thank you very much for telling us about that. It sounds like an amazing project. And, um, and so could we please step back a little bit now to find out what led you into finance and the establishment of your practice? And um, specifically, I'd love to hear about your early career in England before coming to Australia and studying at Macquarie University and, and how you came to eventually establish your own consulting practice. Thanks, Anita. Well, uh, as you can hear from the accent, uh, you can take uh, the boy out of London, you can't take the London out of the boy. So there is still a bit of a London twang. I was born and bred there. Uh, and uh, I, I'd actually got to a stage where I was planning to go to university, but uh, had an opportunity to, uh, uh, a rare opportunity to work for a large German company, uh, Siemens actually in Gesellschaft, Siemens AG, one of their largest companies. Uh, and so I, uh, I deferred uni and, uh, and, and went there and worked there for four years. Uh, we also have a family business quite well known in England that is in the horticultural business. So ant killers and weed killers and things like that, that's our family business. Uh, we trade under the name of Vitax. You'll see a big V when you go to the garden centres. So I worked there for four years as well. We merged a couple of companies. And uh, at 27, I had done quite a lot. And I thought, well, you know, I'd, I had began to travel, uh, travelled over to Asia. I used to import uh, uh, quite a lot of Thai goods back into the, uh, uh, the British market. And so I thought, well, let's go down to Australia, see, see if I can... Uh, uh, see what I see there. I went down to, uh, to, to Melbourne and then on to Sydney for six weeks, loved it, and uh, wanted to apply to emigrate immediately. You have to go back to your home country. Uh, I went through that process, and uh, fortunately, uh, Australia accepted me, said to pass a medical, and I came down on the points test, and uh, I emigrated. Everyone can tell you the day they emigrated, and how they got here. Well, I uh, emigrated on the 21st of December, 1987, and I flew in on an Air India flight because uh, they were cheap. And uh, my first night was uh, Bondi Beach down at the Hotel Biltmore. Everyone can tell you that as well. I'd always done finance at school. Uh, it was something that was intuitive in my life. And I think by the time I emigrated, uh, I really wanted to, uh, you know, row my own boat, run my own race, whatever metaphor you wanted to use. So I arrived with my two suitcases. I bought into a existing financial planning business. And over time, I, I bought that out. And uh, by 1990, uh, I was on my own. Quite literally, I, I was working off uh, a kitchen table in Brookvale in my home. And... Uh, you know, my first love was always uh, helping people uh, with money. It was my, my gift. And uh, here we are 32 years later. And uh, I talked to you tonight from uh, the city office. Uh, we have another office in Manly. Uh, so things have grown, but uh, my commitment to helping people hasn't changed. It's when I'm at my very happiest. So that was how I got started. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Thank you. And uh, and what about your study at Macquarie Uni? I, I'm aware that you spent some time there. What well, are you doing there? Uh, it's actually uh, a funny thing, uh, Anita, because uh, I did indeed do my uh, Master's in Applied Finance at Macquarie. I did it at night school uh, and uh, on a Tuesday and a Thursday night here in the city. I go over and do exams on the Saturday. And uh, it had been the same with my bachelor's as well, which uh, in uh, a bachelor of business in, in, uh, in financial planning. And indeed, I can remember, I, I, I then subsequently, which we might talk about later, did my doctorate. And so they, they made me the, the valedictorian. And so I got to speak in front of a few hundred people. And I said to them, you know, I must make this clear to you. I've never spent a full day at university. Everything was at night school for the bachelor's, the master's and the doctorate. And I was running the business for all of that time. And it's different for different people, certainly different in medicine. Uh, for me, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, kind of juggle it all around. For me, success was turning up for the lectures on time, uh, which I didn't always achieve. Uh, I was never a great student, but I just kept sort of going and, uh, you know, Passes became credits and credits came a bit better. And so that was really my life. Uh, and, uh, you know, we may talk about this later. I now teach at university as well as, as part of my uh, commitment back into the financial community. So the message is just keep going, guys and, uh, and ladies. And, uh, you know, set your own goals and dreams and uh, never live with regrets. So for me... That was my, my, my study commitment. And, uh, and I could say I'm still studying today. I'm studying law at Sydney University. So, uh, but again, at night school, I hasten to add. Great. Thanks, Tony. Well, I'm sure a lot of doctors who are listening can relate to a lot about what you've said. Uh, emigrating to Australia for many, um, establishing practices and certainly studying at night time, which, uh, you know, it never ceases to amaze me when I look at doctors' CVs, how many qualifications they amass under their belts throughout their careers, uh, similar to you. And also there's the similarity of, you know, the uh, passing it on then through teaching to others. Uh, so there's a few common, commonalities there. And, you know, you're sort of a bit of an exception for this program because, um, it's essentially for doctors, but you qualify as a doctor, a, a different type of doctor. Uh, but that's why I snuck you in on, on the program, Tony. So thanks again for being here and telling us about that. And um, so nowadays, who are your clients predominantly and how does your team work together to address your clients' needs? Look, uh, that's a very good question. And... Uh... I remain absolutely committed to uh, clients who've been with me now for literally 30, 32 years. And uh, in some cases now we're looking at not just two generations, but three generations of clients. Uh, when you find a good financial advisor, it's a bit like finding a good doctor. You tend to stay with them. I have a, uh, a specialist doctor here in the city and I have a, a full annual medical every year. Have done for 15 years. We do my bloods and everything. And so we know exactly where we stand. And, I, and when an event happens, 
I had a little problem in my elbow, a bursa, just a, a week or two ago. Uh, the doctor knew exactly what to do because he had my full medical uh, history. So I'm very similar in financial advice. Uh, clients have been with me an awful long time and uh, there's a limit to how many clients you can service yourself. So over the years, I brought uh, other partners into the business. Uh, we have four main aspects to the business. We uh, have a quite a large investment company. So we manage money, both direct shares, uh, managed funds, etc. quite a large property portfolio. Uh, quite a large superannuation business, I should say, these days. It really has grown. Uh, we do a lot of mortgages, so uh, a large mortgage business. And uh, something that's a little bit understated, which is risk insurance, life insurance, income protection, traumas. Uh, I paid a trauma claim last week, 650,000. A 57-year-old, he was, seemed to be healthy until he wasn't, and uh, there was cancer in his, uh, in his throat. Uh, and the payment was made quickly. Uh, so what we try to do is to be able to integrate all of those services so you can talk to one person that is able to, to move between those disciplines. I've always tried to keep the business very tight. So we have 11 in the business. So uh, beyond which you lose that closeness of, uh, of relationships with clients there. Uh, but it's a passion for me. Uh, as we speak, we're looking at uh, the situation in Russia and uh, and uh, the Ukraine tonight, I can tell those of you, I, I was actually in Russia in 2008 at the very time that they went into Georgia. So, uh, and I was at Gazprom of all places, which is a big gas company. So by traveling, you do learn from experience how to deal with situations like this, what is most likely to happen, and to be hopefully a calm influence on people uh, at a time when it can be quite stressful. Uh, particularly for people who've not been through this before. I think that's enough for, uh, for me from there for the moment, Anita. Okay, no problem. So, so, Tony, before we move on to some of the key wealth management milestones and strategies that you think doctors should be thinking about at various stages, um, what are some of the philanthropic ventures that you've undertaken over the years? And why did you choose those particular entities? Thanks, Anita. Uh, I've always had a passion, first and foremost, for helping people to help themselves. So this whole metaphor of teaching someone to fish rather than give them a fish. And so my doctorate was written, actually, in the Philippines uh, around microfinance. And uh, I followed 250,000 people who were getting these small micro loans and by that, I'm talking no more than $100. And they would be done in groups of 20, and they'd cross-collateralize that. In other words, if one person didn't pay, the others would have to make up the difference. And we, so the, 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 the doctor kind of followed how that helped them out of poverty. And it was interesting to watch that they, what they did with the money as they became more successful and how important family was, education was, and health was. And uh, subsequent to that, as my business grew, I was uh, very fortunate to establish my own charitable foundation. So there is a, a, a virtue charitable foundation. It doesn't take external money, only from within the business. And from there, and it's a public thing. You can read all these charitable things uh, on, on, the red, on, on, the, uh, on the government websites. And, and, and so uh, my primary interest has been in helping people help themselves 
uh, certainly within our own community here in Sydney, uh, mitigating poverty in a positive way is very important to me. Uh, and education, which I think really underpins so much of this, is important to me, which is one of the reasons that I continue to teach. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, so now on to that um, information that you might be able to provide um, some key points that doctors should be thinking about. Um, so, you know, you were, are aware as well that throughout doctors' careers, they have a number of significant employment and training milestones um, that signal significant changes to their remuneration and other conditions and, and lifestyle. Uh, can you please outline some of the key actions that people can take as they reach these moments in order to leverage the increases in earnings and the other benefits that they receive? Thanks, Anita. And uh, look, it's been my privilege to look after a lot of doctors, uh, both specialists and GPs. Also, can I say, and a big shout out to a lot of nurses, and uh, we have a, a large cohort of nurses in the client base, and they have, as the doctors have, have worked magnificently through this virus, and it was raised again in Parliament today. And so I want to thank you all for your contribution there. One of the things I would say to you is you are never too young to invest. And while there are much more important things in life than money, if you really do want to be wealthy, one of the ways of doing that is just to be on the planet for an awful long time and let money compound over time. Uh, so we do encourage people to get into the property market at as young an age as they possibly can. Now, for a while, that can be really daunting. That may be an investment property where, uh, you know, you receive rent from uh, a tenant and you still rent yourself, depending on your circumstances. It may be buying your own home and getting into the property market. The, the tax treatment in Australia remains very, very supportive of people owning their own property. To give you guidance on this, over the last 18 months, there has been $2.5 trillion growth in the value of residential property in Australia, which is close to the size of the Australian stock market. For those who actually own their own home and are living in their own home, the sale of that home is tax-free. So much of that $2.5 trillion is effectively a windfall that is tax-free for those who are actually living in their home. So the first thing I would say to you, and I mean, for me, I bought my first home in, in uh, England when I was 18. I had uh, three people who rented off me. Uh, it was a bit of a squeeze. Uh, there was, in those days, a big mortgage and a small deposit. But if you can hang around long enough, the equity grows, the mortgage at least stays the same. Hopefully it goes down a little bit. It also gives you some equity at a later stage where you may consider buying a second or third property. I think that really yes. underpins things. Mm -hmm. On the pure investment side, it is important to have the discipline not just to spend more money because you have more money. Just a regular investment plan, uh, 
and also for your children. I did that for, I, I have a, a daughter who's 28 now. I put away $100 a month. Uh, it paid for her car, $28,000. And uh, it, it also put $40,000 into a deposit on her home, you know, down the track 20 years later. So this money does grow for you. If you can just save money regularly and uh, uh, you, 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 you know, you'll soon forget that you're saving it. Uh, look at your quarterly statements coming through. Have the courage to be in growth investments. I know it's difficult when you see the bumps and bruises in markets and whatever. And another time I can show you tables which show how cash returns have been over the years compared to shares, compared to property there. The other thing I would say to you is that most of you will be receiving some kind of superannuation. Uh, you can uh, put money in yourself there. Uh, at this stage, the two key dates to know are 60 and retired or 65. If you hit those two milestones, you can access your superannuation. The government now allows you to fund for $1.7 million, uh, which you can convert into an income stream. How do you get that money? Well, it's partly from work. It's partly from putting money in yourself. And you can also sell a few assets at a later stage and put a big lump sum in just to, to kick that on. To give you a guide, we'd have a lot of clients with 1.7 million. And that will generate maybe eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 a year in income. And that will be tax-free. And that's outside of any other assets that you have. So the messages are, one, try to get the discipline of doing this early on in life. Two, try and find someone that you have confidence and trust in that has actually already succeeded to be a good coach and a guide with this. Uh, I still play competitive hockey. I, I play for New South Wales against Queensland at the weekend. And I can tell you, it is the people who actually play the game who know the game as opposed to those who just talk about it. So when you're looking to get advice, find people who've actually succeeded a bit in your own life. You wouldn't go to a doctor who was unhealthy. Find someone that really has, uh, has worked hard and succeeded in that area. And just like I had the same doctor for 15 years, try to find someone that you really can uh, have confidence with through the good and the bad that you can be really honest with. And as you go through di different changes in your life, changes in your jobs, maybe in your family, maybe in, 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 in with children, that you've got someone that can adapt uh, with you as your circumstances adapt. So one, go early. Two, find a good coach. Three, never give up. Excellent. Great advice, Tony. Thank you. Look, thanks very much for sharing some of these great pieces of wisdom um, for doctors to take care of their, their very hard-earned assets. And uh, how can listeners learn more about you or get in touch if they want to do that? Thanks, Anita. Well, look, uh, we're very much open for business. And uh, one of the best things that I can do is to help doctors financially who can then go on and do the important things in life of helping other people. I can tell you, you know, I probably have 15, 20 funerals a year in the business. And I spoke earlier about insurance claims. So you as, as, as uh, listeners understand better than anybody just how important people's health is. Now, to be a great doctor, 
the more your financial circumstances are completely organized, the more you can absolutely focus on your key skill there. So we're very much uh, open. We do lots of seminars, client briefings, etc. cetera. Uh, Anita will uh, provide a, uh, a little uh, resume on me, which is relevant particularly to, uh, to medical doctors. It will have my personal phone number on there. It will have my email address and access to our websites. We do a monthly newsletter and video, which will cover literally some of the matters that we spoke about today in Russia and, and the Ukraine. And uh, I've done this now for oh, well over 20 years, uh, every month. And so you can see as we go back through history, how these events have happened. Most months there's some drama going on around the world. Uh, next month will probably be US interest rates rising and how do we manage that? So, uh, and, and that's our, our contribution back to our community. You don't need to be a client just to uh, have access to that information. I have some really top advisors working in the business who are in their 30s and 40s, uh, who are, are hungry, are effective, and uh, would be the kind of people that would, uh, would be good people to meet. So uh, uh, there's a limit to how many people I could actually personally see, but uh, I certainly speak at seminars to lots of people regularly and will do all I can to uh, talk to you individually, uh, particularly those of you who have challenges at the moment. Uh, just like doctors are there to really help people at their most challenging time, I'm the person you should talk to when there's a real crisis, not when it's, the world is easy. That's my speciality is to uh, really be there for people when they most need help. So uh, Anita will provide that information. And I very much look forward to seeing some of you at a future date. Thanks very much, Tony. Bye for now. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Standout Medical Careers. If you like the episode or think it will be useful to someone else, please leave a review at podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, let me know on LinkedIn at Standout Medical Careers. And remember, the better you articulate your story, the more you will stand out.